Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. We are so uh, excited to be back. We have Dr. Brinkman, Elise, and myself. We have not had the opportunity to do an episode together in a little while. And in that time, a lot's happened. Uh, Elise, uh, how have things been with you? Things are good. It was, uh, of course, really great getting to catch up and see you at our recent uh, Musculoskeletal Tumor Society meeting. Uh, it was a really great event in Banff this year. Um, I think it was really well attended and really good meeting, a lot of content. Um, luckily, we had a good opportunity to present and share our story about the podcast so far. So that was really exciting. What did you think of of the meeting? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was amazing. Got to see you at the MSDS meeting. Uh, that was also where we met Ms. Janet Panic, who was recently on for an episode with us on uh, for the Sarcoma Stories uh, segment. Uh, we also had the opportunity to see each other again at the Joint Reconstruction Meeting in Dallas. Um, it's always nice when yeah. I get to see you in person multiple times in a year, at least. Yeah, we don't always have that opportunity, but um, yeah. always good to have you know colleagues around the country and sometimes in other countries, too. And getting to catch up at these meetings is always um, a real treat. So. Um, yeah, and while while at the meeting, there are a lot of very excited uh, people um, about what we're doing with Sarcoma Insight, and uh, and it really spurred a lot of conversation regarding future episodes. So we're very excited about the content that we're gonna have to that we'll be bringing uh, for you guys through the end of this year, as well as through twenty twenty four. Wow, I can't believe it's about to be twenty twenty four. Yeah, yeah, and also in our on our panel, we got to share the stage with. Dr. Alicia Kemp, um, who was one of our very first guests on the podcast. So uh, that was really fun. She got to talk about her own um, work that she does and her own uh, uh, social media uh, endeavors. And so that was that was a really fun time. I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah, I think she she really got on early and she has the Sarcoma Doc uh, Instagram, which I'm uh, definitely very envious about. So um, the episode today will be uh, Giant Cell Tumors of Bone. So on prior episodes, we've done some pretty uh, heavy stuff, uh, some more malignancies. We've done a lot of nerves. We did the nerve sheet tumors, uh, and we looked at spines, uh, had Dr. Awood on to talk about primary metastatic disease of the spine, um, and we also discussed chordomas. And so um, we're bringing it back to something not as malignant, but still has its own issues, which we'll be finding out shortly. Um, and you want to get us started? At least what is a giant cell tumor of bone? Yeah, so giant cell tumor of bone, as you mentioned, it's not malignant. Uh, it's a benign, aggressive tumor that affects the osteoclasts and leads to a loss of bone. It's a marrow-replacing lesion. The pathology is rich with multinucleated giant cells and part of where the name comes from. Though that can be confusing, we can see giant cell tu- giant cells uh, in a lot of different tumor types, but this is very giant cell rich. And this is one that on x-ray generally is a lytic lesion where the bone is being removed or uh, less dense than it would normally be. So uh, at least you mentioned something very important here, which is the bone missing or bone being taken away which on x-rays resembles what we call a lytic lesion. And so there are a few things that do take away bone, often a lot of the times that 
requires activation of that cell type we talked about earlier, the osteoclast. The difference uh, in this is, uh, for example, if someone was to have a primary cancer, like a breast cancer that does metastasize or travel to the bone, that can activate the osteoclast and lead to loss of bone or lytic lesion. Usually what happens in this case is that our patient population can be slightly younger than someone who typically present with metastatic disease. And obviously, eventually, you would probably require a biopsy to be able to differentiate that. You'd ask me, uh, Elisa, who gets diagnosed? So usually the age is about 30 to 50 um, with a slight increased uh, female uh, predisposition uh, for a giant cell tumor of bone. And when uh, people do get this, uh, at least where does it usually occur? It can really occur all over the body, of course, but the most common location certainly that I've seen in my practice and fits in line with what we see in the literature as well is that these occur in the distal femur, the proximal tibia, sometimes the distal radius. You can also see them in the sacrum, the spine, um, but certainly right around the knee joint is one of the most common areas where we would see this. So. Um, just kind of to highlight, the classic patient is going to be someone in their 30s or 40s, possibly more likely a female, um, with a lytic lesion around the knee. So compared to, as you mentioned, how there's lytic lesions have a wide differential in an older patient population, one of the first things we think about is a metastasis. Um, but this is going to typically be a little bit younger uh, patient that we would see it younger, middle-aged adult, you know, when and in that category, I always <laughs> have a hard time saying middle-aged, but it'll be an adult who you may or may not consider middle-aged. Yeah. And, and I think uh, we've said metastasis a couple of times specific to giant cell tumor. You should note that there are, there, are, there have been reports and there is a slight chance that the giant cell tumors of bone can metastasize to the lungs. And that's something that we'll be uh, touching upon as we proceed. For these patients that do come in with these lytic lesions, what is the typical presentation or symptoms that they might present with uh, at least? Yeah, so we described the typical patient who would come into the clinic and the way that they would typically present and end up seeing one of us is uh, increasing pain generally with activity, but they may also have pain at rest and night uh, at nighttime, uh, as well as swelling in the area where this lesion is. So can often lead to difficulty with mobility. And if there's soft tissue extension, we mentioned this is a benign aggressive tumor. Sometimes it can still be contained within the bone, but there can be situations where it can grow outside of the bone, completely going through the cortex or the outer uh, shell of the, the bone itself. Um, so they may have a soft tissue mass or swelling that's present also. And so if a patient like this shows up in your clinic, what would be the first things you're doing if a lot of times they already come with some sort of imaging? Like we mentioned, they'll usually have an x-ray that suggests there's something going on. But besides the x-ray, what are some of the other diagnostic studies you would get and what would you see on that? Like we always say, the x-rays are the most important and a lytic lesion will be seen on that x-ray area that is lighter, lighter than the typical bone. Um, that you would see on x-ray, uh, specific to giant cell tumors, we will notice that these tumors are eccentrically located. So they're not in the center of the bone. They're usually off to one side, and they're usually in the epiphyseal, metaphyseal regions. We've talked about the epiphysis, metaphysis, and, diaphys and the diaphysis in previous uh, 
epiphysiometaphyseal so it'll be in the epiphyseal metaphyseal regions, which is closer to the joints. You can get additional help, uh, additional imaging to help us uh, define this further. When it comes to bone, visualization of bone and bone lesions is much better on CT scan, with the CT allowing us to visualize it much better than would say an MRI. But we can also get an MRI, which would show uh, some degree of darkness on the T1 image and brightness on T2. Again, uh, for the patients with the giant cell tumor, we have to remember that there is a slight chance of a uh, lung lesion. And so a CT chest can be considered for primary evaluation. Chest x-ray can also be used for that. You brought up a couple of good points, Cizu. Um, some of these came up even during the discussion and some of the studies that were presented at our MSTS meeting. So, for example, you mentioned this can occur in the epiphyseal or metaphyseal region. So certainly in the adult population, which this is more common, it'll be in that metaphyseal region, but often extending very close to the joint surface in that epiphyseal region. But when this does occur in kids or in an you know, older pediatric population, it's generally more contained to the metaphysis. It can extend into the epiphysis, and those are, I think, really difficult situations to treat when it crosses the growth plate. But that was a, a pretty interesting study that was uh, discussed uh, at our at our recent meeting in Banff. That that's often more contained to the metaphyseal region. And you brought up another good point a couple of times now too that this can metastasize to the lungs. And you know our our listeners, especially any patient or family member listeners, may be wondering, well, what do you mean metastasize? I thought that was a bad thing. That means it's cancerous. That's uh, one of the unusual things about this tumor type that I often spend a lot of time talking to patients about just so it's not a surprise, but again, highlighting this is benign, but it does have this paradoxical ability to, to spread to the lungs. And that's why we do include lung imaging, both in the initial workup and in surveillance for these patients, both x-ray and CT chest. Some sort of chest imaging is is definitely important because we want to identify those early so they can be taken care of um, if they do exist, which is rare. Does does happen in three to seven percent of patients estimated. So I think you also touched on this, but so if you saw this and you were even if you were fairly confident, um, would you get a biopsy if you had a patient with these all these classic features uh, come into your clinic? Would you still get a biopsy? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I generally we anticipate a biopsy for these most of bone lesions uh you know outside of those in the younger kids that are very pathognomonic on imaging uh, ideally i would like uh, a biopsy on this what about you yeah i think we always want to have a biopsy before we proceed to the treatment plan and we generally get our biopsies done with our radiology uh team but this would be one that I, I think it's not uncommon at institutions to do a biopsy in the operating room um, and proceed with with uh, the treatment just to avoid that delay um, in moving towards the operating room to, to get this taken care of. But absolutely, I would definitely biopsy this. Uh, when you get a biopsy, what do you see on the biopsy? What are we, we already mentioned it, but it's always yeah. good to have that repetition. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, almost an easy one. Uh, we'll see giant cells. 
Um, and these giant cells are exactly as they're described. They're very large cells, right? And so like you, most people remember, they're almost circular, the cells. But these cells have multiple nuclei. So we call them multinucleated giant cells. And that's mostly because they're a family of cells called the macrophages. And their job is to engulf other cells. And so what you end up is a very big cell with a lot of nuclei within it. And you would see a large family of this um, in the biopsy, and it would be mostly giant cells. And that allows us to make the confirmation of the diagnosis in combination with the imaging findings and the presentation and the full picture. Usually what we do is this biopsy is performed at the time of the surgery with a frozen specimen, allowing us to confirm and then proceed with the rest of the surgery. And when we talk about the surgery, um, Elise, do you want to tell us what we're doing uh, generally with these? There are different treatment options available, but if it's localized, definitely surgery is first and foremost the mainstay of treatment for this. Um, because this is benign, the way this is generally treated is with curatage, and that's intralesional curatage. Any trainees listening, I always you know, test them on what the different, or talk to them about what the different margin types are. So this is treated intralesionally where you're going into the tumor. You want to expose it with a pretty large hole from the outside so that you can make sure you can see all of the contents of the tumor. Um, and we call this extended intralesional curatage, meaning that we're not only scraping the tumor out, but we're trying to extend the margins by a few millimeters with a combination of tactics. This is mechanical uh, as well as chemical and thermal treatment that we're aiming for. So from a mechanical standpoint, that's using curettes, rongeurs, a burr, um, scraping the tumor out. From a thermal standpoint, there's a lot of different strategies for that. Just bovi alone. Uh, I like using an argon beam coagulator uh, if that's available at your institution, that's a good way to burn the edges of the, the tumor cavity. Uh, and also, if you put cement in, that gets hot as it cures. And so we think that may have a benefit as well, creating some heat locally in the tumor cavity. And then from a chemical standpoint, there's a lot of different options out there. Phenol has been used historically, isn't as common anymore. <clears throat> Sterile water. Uh, hydrogen peroxide. Uh, some people use antibiotic solution, but there's a lot of different options. But we know you really want to treat this with all three of those categories from a mechanical, chemical, and thermal adjuvant treatment standpoint. Um, yeah. Um, what are so some of the other... Yeah, you, you talk about yeah. treating these and curetting and clearing things out. So you sounds like we're making a pretty large hole here. What what are some options that uh, that people anticipate uh, when we're trying to reconstruct these or fill the defect? You already mentioned some cement uh, potentially, uh, which is bone cement. Uh, any other options generally that you that you consider? Yeah. So besides cement, um, again, it's a little bit depending on the age. You may consider a bone graft substitute um, depending on the defect. Uh, especially if you're near the joint surface, we usually like to at least use some bone, typically allograft, right below the joint surface in that subchondral space. But there are some situations where that hole is so large that 
we don't think that extended interlesional curettage is going to be a reliable option where we're going to be able to reconstruct the bone. And in those situations, or if it's recurred, um, especially recurred multiple times, then we may talk about a wide resection. Um, and then reconstruction, as mentioned, this usually occurs around joints, in particular the knee. We may be talking about a megaprosthesis where we're replacing that entire portion of bone, either with a proximal tibia replacement, replacing it all with metal, or with uh, a distal femur replacement. Of course, there's a lot of different options we could go into that for a while as well, but there may be situations where you want to remove the entire tumor without getting into it at all. But in general, this is treated with intralesional curettage. Um, uh, and the other thing to keep in mind when we're reconstructing this is there may be a fracture risk. So sometimes we add plates or screws or other supplemental fixation when we're recreating that defect. What about if it's not localized, for example, if there's metastases to the lung or it is a really challenging location? What are some other treatment options that are available if, say, surgery is not not a viable option? Yes, a very good question. I think hey, when we talk about things not being localized, so to one bone, so so giant cell tumors can be multifocal, affected multiple different bones and locations on the body. And in that case, when it's not easy to resect the tumor, um, we can often try uh, some uh, medical management to augment some of this. Uh, and the medicines that are used are drugs that have been used to treat osteoporosis, for example, primarily because they affect that group of cells, the osteoclasts that are in that macrophage family. And so those drugs can be denosumab or bisphosphonates. And those have been shown to provide some benefit, uh, especially in patients that do not have uh, tumors that could be treated primarily surgically. Similarly, on that note, um, I know there's still some studies ongoing uh, out there looking at the use of local bisphosphonates in the cement to see if that helps with the chances of recurrence of the tumor. Um, so we're, we're still learning a lot more about how to treat these. This is a very difficult tumor type to treat, mainly because of something we will be mentioning a little bit later, but these have a very high potential to recur, unfortunately, despite our best efforts. So on that note, as you move forward, you've treated these patients uh, probably with surgery. What do you do for surveillance afterwards? Are you getting an MRI every time or a CT scan? Or how often are you typically uh, seeing these patients back in clinic? And what sort of imaging are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I believe that surveillance is very important in these uh, in the patients with giant cells. There is a high recurrence rate, so a likelihood that the tumor would come back to that location where you treated it from. That's why we try to do a very thorough curettage uh, and excision. When they do occur, we want to identify that ahead of time, and so there are different things that can help us. Whenever we talk about surveillance, uh, at least I always try to mention there are multiple things that go into effect. One is, you know, we can also always check and do this with imaging studies, but also the patients uh, also taking the time to identify if there's something different um, in their presentation, whether it be increased pain, uh, changes in their symptoms or symptomatology. And then imaging wise, my preference is to have repeat imaging in the form of x-rays, have a baseline x-ray, and we use that as a way to follow a trend. And if there's a concern, 
uh, if there's a concern on the x-ray, then get advanced imaging, either MRI uh, or CT scan. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say my surveillance plan is uh, very similar to that. Uh, and, and because of that high recurrence rate, I'm seeing patients pretty often initially every three to four months um, for at least the first couple of years when that recurrence rate is highest. Um, but yeah, and then we we also uh, uh, mentioned a couple of things that this could be um, if you see a lytic lesion in the bone in some of these usual locations. But what are some other things that would be on your differential diagnosis? Um, for tumors that look very similar to giant cell. We mentioned metastasis if it's an older patient, but if it's in that typical age group or a younger patient, what else might you be thinking about? Yes, so that lytic lesion uh, that we talk about, having bone missing, a lot of things can cause that. Even some you know, bone malignancies like osteosarcoma can look like that. We mentioned that you can get um, tumors uh, like giant cell tumor bone in the sacrum. Well, on previous episodes, we mentioned that one of the common tumors that could be in the sacrum is a chordoma as well. And on x-ray, it would look like there's some missing bone, depending on the size of the chordoma. Uh, other uh, tumors that can cause lytic lesions and have giant cells on imaging as well are tumors like a chondroblastoma, right? So chondro meaning cartilage and the blastoma is sort of an earlier cell line, a cell differentiation of this a chondroblastoma, or an aneurysmal bone cyst. These also will have giant cell tumors within it and a lytic lesion uh, component. Any others that I might have missed, Elise? No, I think that hits some of the major ones that we'd be thinking about. And You mentioned the specific locations in which we'd have those other tumors on the, on the differential. But um, great. Well, I think we covered a lot today. Uh, it's certainly an important tumor type to talk about because we do see it with a little bit more commonality than some of the others. Um, and it can be really challenging to take care of. And there are unfortunately situations where we're seeing patients and having to treat them multiple times because of that high recurrence rate. So uh, as we mentioned, their giant cell tumor of bone, this is a benign aggressive tumor that uh, does have a paradoxical behavior and ability to metastasize to the chest. So we're typically getting chest imaging at the time of the initial diagnosis and also typically thereafter as well. There may be situations where you'd include that with your surveillance. There's a high recurrence rate uh, estimated to be up to 30% in some studies, unfortunately. And do you want to mention some of the other points that we highlighted today? So you already said benign aggressive tumor and in the chest. I mean, I think the other thing would be the recurrence rate. So paying attention to the likelihood that this could come back. Um, and again, to reiterate that, you know, these are not treated as a malignancy. It's very important. All right. With that, that brings us to a close. It is important to note that every patient's case is unique and treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on discussion with your team of physicians. If you would like more information on the topic, please feel free to check out the articles listed in the episode description. If you enjoyed the episode, don't hesitate to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Sarcoma Insight Podcast. And next episode, we'll be finishing out the giant cell tumor family by discussing tenosynovial giant cell tumors as well as giant cell tumors of the tendon sheet.
So good to Another see you Another exciting guys. topic. Well, we'll be on the benign and benign aggressive uh, for a little bit uh, to finish out the year. Sarcoma Insight.